Well, good afternoon and um, welcome to all of you who are tuning in this afternoon. Our special guest today is the Right Reverend Nicholas Nicely, who is the 13th Bishop of the Diocese of Rhode Island. Uh, welcome, Bishop Nicely. It's great to have you uh, join us this afternoon. Uh, thank you, Father Noah. Glad to be back. It's uh, Yes, we just saw you this past weekend at a, an event. Um, talk about that in a minute. But uh, I, I'm glad you agreed to do this. I thought what we might talk about a little bit on this segment is to talk about your role as a bishop. You know, I think most people in the pews, they see a, the bishop once in a year, maybe, or maybe if they're grandchildren or somebody's being confirmed. But, you know, um, in, in the changing atmosphere and the, 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 the sort of the, uh, the, the whole cultural thing about what church is now, what it was before the pandemic, where do we go, what shape is, it, is the church, uh, who are we reaching, um, and, and how that affects you. I mean, here at Christ Church Wesley, we're in transition. I'm the interim rector. I've been here almost, well, just about three and a half months. And um, they're they're just starting the process, and uh, there are all sorts of considerations and concerns that they have. Um, clergy shortage, uh, uh, mobility of clergy, uh, availability of clergy as far as uh, the kind of a match that might be the kind of priest that would serve the parish. Um, and I think that uh, you know we offer a prayer uh, each week for the transition, and I think that. Um, those are the concerns that people have. And I think you, know, you play a big role in all of this, um, and, and as does your staff. And I think that um, maybe if you could talk to us a little bit about, from your perspective, uh, the kind of things that, kinds of things that uh, you know, give you joy about this process, the kind of challenges you have about it, things you're seeing in other parishes, things that maybe don't, don't relate to us, but uh, due to the wider church. Sure. Well, that's an awful lot of uh, golf balls you've teed up for me there. Father. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me just start hitting them in the order that makes sense to me. That's right. Um, I think, you know, let's do it this way. The first question you asked me, or a question you asked me along the way was, what gives me joy in yeah. this in this ministry? And and I, I'm very clear that what gives me the greatest joy is being with the people of the diocese. Um, I may be the only person in the diocese in the entire state who looks so much forward to general uh, to diocesan convention that I can barely sleep the week leading up to it, even though I have a, a, a lot of responsibilities in it. It's the one time I really get to see everybody and right. we're all together. Uh, yeah. I have a unique perspective. I'm the one person who regularly visits all 52 or so of our congregations right. and knows them uh, and knows the people, knows their concerns. Uh, a parish priest can look out over their altar and see the people that are in their congregation week in and week out. Uh, I get to look out over those 50 altars and see tens of thousands of people, uh, some of whom I get to know quite well, some of whom I only interact with briefly. But to pray with them, to celebrate the sacraments with them, to be able to visit with them, that's the best part for me of being a bishop. And I think that was always that relationship was always my favorite part of being a priest you know I'm, I'm just coming up on my 12th anniversary of uh a beginning of year of, of ministry and my 11th anniversary and 
you know, it, it, it's a different ministry. And when the time comes for me to retire, I, I know that I'm going to go back to do parish ministry again. I miss it. Uh, and I think the best approximation I get of the joy I had as a parish priest is the visitations, uh, whether it's like being with you for a funeral uh, the other week or being at St. Columbus this past weekend or being at St. Paul's, wherever I am. I, th I think in general, I, I don't think the average Episcopalian really understands the particular charism that, that it is required for uh, someone to be a bishop. You know, I, uh, a, a woman asked me a, several parishes ago if I'd ever wanted to be a, be a bishop, and I said, I would rather have a root canal. I, that's just not my charism. And I love parish ministry, and I, I, I love being here with the people, uh, building a relationship. It's, and the challenges that you have, uh, I remember the old Ed Sullivan show, there was a comic that used to come on and used to keep all the plates rolling in circular. I think that's sort of what drives you every day. You know, you keep it, you know. Well, I, I, yeah, there's a part of that. And, and it, it is a different ministry. I, I remember um, somebody telling me when I was first ordained bishop that about 30% of what I knew how to do as a priest would be applicable. And I said, oh, surely it's not that much. And, and that's about right. Uh, the parts that I knew how to do already, which was how to celebrate the Eucharist, how to baptize people, that was the same. But there's a lot of different things. And, and a lot of it has to do with, as you say, the administrative side. But I think for me, you know, it's not just the administrative side, it's dealing with the clergy mm -hmm. because that's the, that's the big difference, right? We all have budgets that we have to manage in congregations. We all have staffs we have to manage. Um, different places have different sizes of staffs and different budgets. But, you know, materially, it's the same thing. Right. What I look at as bishop that I can... I have a responsibility for that I didn't have responsibility for as a priest or as a deacon or as a lay person was the lifting up of leaders for the next generation. I mean, that's we reserve ordination for bishops. And I think broadly speaking, that identification and formation of the next generation of leaders is the most important part of my job yeah. as bishop. And, and whether it's, identifying people who are going to be ordained and, and making sure they get the right seminary education or the right diaconal formation education, or if it is a matter of lifting up lay leaders uh, and helping them, or if it is, as you at Christ Church are experiencing, helping congregations discern how to make a good call for their next priest. Um, that's all of a piece of, I think, what bishops are for. Yeah. And so I spend a lot of my time on that work. You had mentioned some of the concerns yeah. about personnel deployment in the church right now. Um, you know, How has that changed with the shortage of clergy? I mean, there, there, there were there were things that the, the church used to do with, you know, the, the uh, what, was, what was the old the CDO profile kind of thing. Yeah. Those are all, all that changed. And, uh, and so... The, yeah, the no, it, it, it has. Um, this... You know, there, there, there's been so many different ways of doing it. But when I don't remember how many years you've been in ministry, but I've been at this 33 years now. Yeah. And, you know, 33 years, it's changed. When I was first a priest, 
and I applied for my first job, I, I remind people there were hundreds of people who were looking for a job. And you got a stack of resumes this high at the, the search committee had to go through and winnow it down to maybe 10 to do initial interviews with, and then down to four or five to do final interviews with. And then out of that four or five, you pick the one that you thought was the best person. Mm -hmm. um, we're now at a place where we're happy if we get two or three good applications for a place. And I say to congregations, you need to be aware that this isn't the only place that this priest is talking to. Right. And you you don't want to pick which is your favorite of the three because all those three may have other churches that are going to make offers before you get around to making an offer. Right. What you need to think about when you get your finalists, how do we how do we hire one of these finalists and make this a successful pairing? Right. As opposed to how do we pick one out of a huge barrel? Uh, I was I was ordained about 25 years ago, but before that, I was uh, my home parish in Mystic. I was chairman of the search committee mm -hmm. to call the past rector. And uh, when we got to the point where we, we, we received the names from the de the deployment office at the time, uh, we had four categories. We had the bishops list. We had um, the priests who submitted their own name, priests who matched our CDO profile and priests who were submitted by the parish, 65 mm -hmm. names. Right. And we went through the bishop's list and they were on the list because the bishop wanted us to consider them, not necessarily that they had actually put their name up. Right. Well, it turns out that five of the six bishops, bishops list of clergy were not even interested in moving. Right. And, and you know, um, so we, we whittled it down. But now, I mean, I've been interim rector in three parishes and uh, they haven't gotten the list yet, but the last two, uh, they, they've merely, barely got 10. Uh, in Guilford, I think they got like 10. That was 12 years ago. And in, in, in Durham, I think they got two. Right. It, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a combination of things. And I, I just want to be clear. It's not that the church is failing or that we don't have enough people interested in ordained ministry. It's that a generational shift is happening. And... and I think the biggest thing that has impacted us is the early retirement packages that clergy have been given. So we had a number of people who were ordained later in life in their fifties or in their sixties. They haven't, they only have maybe one parish they're going to serve, maybe two parishes they're going to serve in their career as opposed to, you know, five, six, seven parishes. And then the 55 and out uh, rule from the church pension fund, allowed clergy to only have uh, maybe 25 years, 30 years of active ministry before they stop working. Right. And that's reduced the number of people. So we, we can fix this, but in for, for the next 10 years, I think it's going to be, you know, the lean years, uh, like Joseph told Pharaoh about, we, we're going to be in a, a lean period of time. And so we need to work on recruiting our cl clergy to come, especially yeah. to a healthy and vibrant church like uh, Christ Church Westerly, right? That uh, years ago, you would have had no shortage of people really excited about coming. And I think you will have some people who are really excited about coming. I hope you'll have some wonderful choices to make, but I also want to remind people that you need to be aware that there are some challenges. 
at Christchurch, while we're talking, uh, I don't know how this is going to work out, but um, having sold the rectory, we live in a very expensive housing market. Clergy who are paying off clergy debts and are are educational debts and are not extraordinarily well paid compared to the rest of the population often don't have money for down payment into a, a hot real estate market like we have. And if they can't move here, they can't work here. You know, the typical, not maybe the typical clergy family, either the husband or the wife is ordained and they have two kids and they're in a house where they have a 2% mortgage. Now they're moving to a very high uh, property value area with interest rates that are the highest in 48 years. Right. And and we have no rectory. Right. Um, No, uh, and I don't know how that'll work. And uh, but that's a piece of it. Um, yeah, you know, the other thing we're finding, Father, is clergy. You know, my wife and I, uh, we, we're very traditional. We have two children, right? Husband, wife. Um, I'm seminary educated, so I'm, I had a normal career in the church. And we, as I was called, she would quit her job and move to follow me around the country. As, as one, someone asked Karen, my wife, what um, her career had been. And she said, well, mostly I'm just along for the ride on his, <laughs> but lately we're finding that the clergy are not the primary wage earner for their family. Right. And if they're not the primary wage earner, then it becomes much more difficult for families to move. If, and you've had this experience at Christchurch where previous rectors, their spouses were doctors and they weren't able to move the practice. And, and you can't just pick up a practice right. um, and move it to another area. Uh, you, we've had bank presidents, we've had hospital CEOs as spouses, we've had full tenured college professors as spouses, and those, the clergy spouse can't move, so people are much less mobile as a result. I, I've been ordained since 1999, and we have lived in the same house all this yeah. time. Um, we had, uh, my wife's business is, uh, not a trans, not a mobile business, not a transportable business. We own a funeral home mm-hmm. uh, in in Mystic, Connecticut, and so I made it clear the bishop knew that that I was not going to be able to uh, move at will, um, or you know, or to seek uh, positions that I couldn't commute to, and so I've done that, and, and it's worked out well. But I think that uh, you're right that. The, the reality is now the uh, husband and wife or both or both husbands or both wives, whatever, both couples, members of the couple are usually in a, in a situation where maybe it's not so easy to move. I, I think the other thing, an advantage we have in Rhode Island is because we have our, we're the smallest geographical diocese in the right. country, right? Yes. But we are a medium to large size diocese in terms of number of churches and attendance yeah. and finances. We are able to have clergy couples come here where both the husband and the wife or or both people in the relationship are married and ordained and they need to find two separate churches. And because you can manage that and you can drive from one end of the state to the other relatively quickly, we can attract people who are both looking for two jobs that might not otherwise be able to find such a situation in the Midwest where churches might be 100, 200 miles apart. Here, our churches are maybe four or five miles apart in 
you know, yeah. Washington and the state and in Providence, maybe four or 500 yards apart. Yeah. Uh, so it, it becomes a lot easier. I, the downside, of course, to that is when you do that and the other person in the relationship gets called to another place, well, you lose your priest too. So yeah. somebody asked me when I was, in, I was the rector of the, not, not interim, but the rector in Niantic. And someone asked me about five years ago, where, where did I live? And I said, well, I, I live in Niantic, but I sleep in Ledgerd, <laughs> you know, and that's basically yeah. the way my ministry has been, you know, and I think in New England, where they're not talking New Mexico or Arizona, where, you, you know, miles and miles of area, or even like, you know, Jonathan Fultz went out to South Dakota. I mean, you're talking about a completely different world. No, I, I was dean of the cathedral in Phoenix, Arizona, and while my congregation was downtown, and we had congregations, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes away by car, uh, the bishop, who was a good friend of mine, you know, if he wrote, if he had to go down the Geronimo Mountains or out to Yuma, it's a 12-hour drive. Wow. So yeah. he, you know, from Phoenix, it's 12 hours to get to that in the state, and he would have little apartments he could stay in. In various parts but he would often be living out of his car for a week on end we don't have that so it allows us to attract clergy that uh, might be able to serve in a different way i you know all of this is to say that as bishop you know back to your original question what's different is i find that i do a lot of time recruiting clergy to come and i go to events you know, I, I, I joke about it when I buy a lot of coffee. Occasionally I'll buy somebody a lobster roll. But it's because if it's an investment and if I can, you know, yeah. it's like sales and sales leads. If I can That did strike me as something that uh, wasn't a typical strategy for a bishop. You recruit. Uh, you, you stress that. And I, I thought do. it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I, I read math better than most bishops. So I, I knew this shortage was coming. Yeah. And I and we wanted to be able to attract people to come to Rhode Island because frankly, I think our churches are better served if we can attract healthy, uh, ambitious clergy. That's right. And, and and we're going to be able to be more effective in proclaiming the gospel if we have the right kind of leadership. Yeah. So I don't want to just leave that to chance. No, well, it's, uh, it doesn't look like it is. And I think that you know, uh, and I think Christchurch, you know, like you say, uh, the, their recent past history with uh, two of the two of the three last three calls were uh, cut very short for very different, similar reasons. But uh, you know, I th and I think that adds a little bit of a uh, gun shy attitude about. No, you know, I I completely understand why they would. And um, the good news, though. In all this, and there's always good news, right? The good news is that this is causing a lot of our congregations to recognize that they can't depend on the priest to do everything to make them a success. That's right. The, the priest has a specific role. That's right. And and they have a role to play in you know celebrating the Eucharist, celebrating the sacraments, teaching, preaching, but to have the priest then also be the administrator. And the uh, the the building supervisor and, and all these other things. It, it's a recognition that, well, you know, some priests can do all those things and do all of them well. Some priests can do a few of them well. Some priests can't do really struggle with some of the stuff and and do okay with the other stuff. 
And if the parish learns to be able to fill in those slots, right. well, then it has the ability to absorb somebody who might be a fantastic preacher, but mm -hmm. not such a great administrator, or, or vice versa, someone who's a great administrator, and maybe they can find another way uh, to work around preaching. But, you know, I, I often talk about it in my homilies about people in the parish, congregants, communicants, having skin in the game. You know, and, and, and here, uh, they, they have a pretty good attitude about accomplishing that. You know, everybody's got uh, their role, not everybody, but I mean, they're very, very uh, specific about yeah. taking care of practical, everyday, running the mill kind of Monday through Sunday. And, well, um, I, and I, you know, Tony, I, I want to say, and I, I don't know if this, but would you please share it with the congregation? I have a note to say this to you. Um, how grateful I am for the hospitality they gave to the whole of the diocese and the wider church this past weekend when we had uh, the celebration of David Jocelyn's ministry at life. Um, I mean, just the little touches, like having the room for the bishops to have its own little coffee urn right. in it so we could grab water around, making sure that we all knew what we were doing. You know, bringing people and having that wonderful banquet afterwards, uh, yeah. Yeah. managing all those people. A lot of moving parts, and I was really touched by the professionalism of the staff and and the lay volunteers and the and the generous hospitality of everybody. And I, I think it, right. as uh, as Tony as a Father Jai's uh, Bishop Larry said in his sermon that you and I heard, Father Tony, yeah. um, <laughs> for David for Bishop David, details mattered. That's right. And I I was watching you all at Christ Church how you managed the details of this. Uh, you know, he would have been so proud to see. It was that. wonderful. You know, uh, uh, David had a lot to do with what the service was going to be about, but then we had to put it into practice. And right. everybody here stepped up to the plate, and you know, from, from beginning to end. And I think that um, that's that's who David was. You know, even, even to the very end, he was talking to my wife and I one Sunday morning after the 10 o'clock service about uh, maybe we should rearrange that chair in the set. <laughs> you, know, you know, that's who he was, you know, silly so detail like the bishop's cathedral. And, yeah. uh, and I think that, you know, I loved what Larry said about Bishop Provenzano said about uh, uh, David being a practical theologian. Right. Uh, I, I really embrace that. Well, and that practical ministry was laid out in the details. Right. right. So I, I, you know, and David was rector at Christ Church for years. Yeah. Um, I, and I would like to think that part of the reason the details were so beautifully handled by the congregation is there's a culture there That's of right. making sure those things happen. And, and, you know, sometimes priests are good at that and sometimes priests aren't good at that. But the beauty of it is that the congregational culture made sure it happened whether the priest could do it or not. That's right. And and I think that's something for you all to think about as you do your search process, yeah. but also something that you just, you know, that's a gift that you have as a group of people that you, details matter and you get things right. And, and there's a certain level of quality that you expect of that. And that attracts people in the door and gives you a chance to tell them about Jesus. And that's really the whole point of it, right? Exactly. So it's not just that we do it well, but we do it well so that we can invite right. people in and have them be so impressed by us that they listen to us when we talk about Jesus. Yeah.
you know, I, I, I say this all the time. I, I know you do too. It's, uh, you know, there are, there are lots of things that, that we can support and pray for and do, but what we, what are the product, if you want to put it, put it like that, that we have to offer is Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. And, and how we do that, you know, when we preach the gospel, um, it's got to be something that it's going to inspire and motivate and, and strengthen people to get out there, like the prayer says, and now go into the world and do the work Jesus has given us to do. Uh, and I think that I've loved being here. You know, uh, I've, they've, they've been very well received. Uh, I was here a long time ago as a seminarian and lots of new people here now. Yeah. And, yeah. But, you know, um, the, my father-in-law was a resident of Westerly and he used to he used to tell me years ago that there was a bakery in town that he would never go to. And I said, why? He goes, he says, there's a bacteria in the starter dough. And there's a culture in that dough that I don't like. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you have a starter dough, you, start, you kind of feed off of that. You never actually use it all. Right. And I think that's sort of what you're saying about yeah. the kind of culture that has been developed and nurtured here. That, that makes them be, uh, be, be, they should be very proud and um, not, not prideful, but confident that they've got the, they've got what it takes. And I think that the, you know, whether it takes them a year or two, you know, that's going to be up to them. Right. Um, no, it, it's up to God. And, and that's, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. right. And, and, you know, you pray for the right fit and you pray for the next priest to come and, and, but I think not to settle for something that's, you know, not to get anxious. It's taking too long. I think is the, right. probably what you're trying to say. And I think that's well, that's right. That's I've really made, good advice. I've made it clear to them. Look, one of the I hope one of the things that I can offer this parish as an interim in my third interim, everyone's different. But here, I feel like the the thing that I can offer them the most, in addition to hopefully, you know, sound preaching and good liturgy, is to not have them. I have a sense of anxiety about this. Mm -hmm. not, not, there's a lack of, of, of them being anxious about this and, and not to be, you know, uh, worried that they're, they're going to miss the boat or something. Right. No. So. Well, I, Father, I, it, we've. Thank you, by the way, thank you. I'm sorry. I want to thank you. Uh, Saturday was just a magnificent tribute to Bishop Johnson, and thank you for all you did. And, um, uh, I think uh, David is smiling up, down, up, uh, uh, down at us and saying, "You know, good and faithful servants." We, we, I think we did him proud. I, I look, for, I look forward to getting my notes when I meet him again. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he would call me so often. It, I, I was shocked. The first Sunday I was on the altar was the first Sunday in August. And about eight o'clock that night, my phone rang, and I didn't have David in my phone yet, but it, it was the Wesley numbers. I picked it up, and it was David. And David didn't usually say, "Hi, this is Bishop Jocelyn," or "Hi, this." He would just say what he had on his mind. Right. And I, thought, I thought, "Oh my God, what have I done now?" Uh, <laughs> and he was just so kind, yeah, and so affirming. Uh, to, and I, I mean, he continually told me that all his well, And I, I got to be very intimately close with David over these last three months. And um, he was really a blessing to me as he was to this whole place. Um, it was really a, a, a gift 
I, I felt in a way, you know, we, we, we were talking about the Holy Spirit one day. Christy came down with me. She wanted to see him before he died. And um, yeah, talking about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, David has a great sense of humor. And I said, you know, uh, David, I said, I, I'm convinced there's a Holy Spirit. I said, look, of all the priests in the Episcopal Church that this vestry could have called to be interim rector of this parish during this time in your life, they picked an undertaker. <laughs> and I thought I thought he was going to fall out of the chair. <laughs> you know, D D Canon Dina said to me on Saturday morning, she goes, she goes, uh, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm fine. She goes, this is, I think she might have something like a lot of moving parts or something. I don't know what she said. But I said, well, I said, you know, this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> I've directed a few funerals. <laughs> but everybody was wonderful. Yeah. It was a lovely day. And, and thank you for all. And thank you for what you're doing in the uh, congregation. Let's end with a prayer. Sure. Let us pray. Almighty God, who gave such grace to your bishop, Nicholas, Saint Nicholas of Myra, that he readily obeyed the call of your son, Jesus Christ. Give us who are called by your holy word, grace to follow him without delay and to bring those near to us into his gracious presence, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. It's been- well, thank uh, you. And God bless you. God bless you for your ministry and uh, God bless the people of Christ Church in Westerly. Thank you, Bishop. And we'll keep you in our prayers during your sabbatical. Thanks. Take All care. Right. Thanks for watching. Did you know that you can join Christ Church from anywhere in the world? If you're feeling connected to what we're doing, email us today at communicate at Christchurchwesterly.org.